0: You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Well, our world today that we live in is a world of extremes. You have extremes on all all facets of life, all right? Uh, And I would say, I want us to think today, in this context of the passage of Scripture we're going into, about two prevailing mindsets that are out there. The first one is, you are strong, and you are beautiful, and you're bold, and there's nothing wrong with you at all. Just being yourself is flawless. No one dare cross you or disagree with you. And if you show any signs of weakness, that's just awful. Please don't ever do that again. Just, just don't, don't, don't show any weakness. You're perfect. There's that mindset out there. That you, you pick it up in movies and songs and in school, every, everywhere. You know, this the way people talk about themselves nowadays. Like, I choose me. This is who I am. You have that. And you have the other extreme, which is the over-glorification of vulnerability. And you, all you want to do is talk about your insecurities And while it's definitely okay to not be okay, that is so true, um, there's this overreaction to the be strong and never admit weakness mindset, and you you pendulum swing over here, and you embrace weakness so much that you elevate it to a virtue. And if you don't have my struggle, well, then you can't say anything to me. And you use victimhood as a label. And you not only get used to being depressed, but you find your identity in that. Sounds pretty awful, doesn't it? And yeah, it is miserable. But that's often the two prevailing mindsets. Both of them are imbalanced. Both of them are extreme. But that's what we face out there. It's either I'm weak or it's how dare you pretend not to be weak. Um, and of course, these, these, these two problems, these two mindsets are problematic because there's no middle ground there. And the big problem with both these mindsets is that they are foreign to the truth that we see presented in the Bible. How does the Holy Spirit reveal us to be as followers of Jesus Christ through the leading of the Holy Spirit? a lot different than what I just described. So today, we're going to see from Paul an example of the balanced way to think about yourself, the correct way to view yourself in life, because it's unhealthy to kid yourself into thinking that you're bulletproof, and it's also damaging to believe the lies that you were doomed to be forever in gloom, okay? You don't have to be miserable in life either, and if you've been with us recently in this series you understand basically where we're at with this, okay? I know not everyone has been every step of the way in this strength and weakness series that we've been in in 2 Corinthians, but we're really in the middle of Paul throwing some punches right now. He's been sarcastically telling it like it is with the leaders of the church at Corinth um, who happen to be fake Christians. They're just not real genuine Christians. They have a different gospel. And the leaders of Corinth have been playing the comparison game, and they have bashed Paul because he wasn't flashy enough. He wasn't good-looking enough. He didn't have all the bells and whistles and sound smooth and polished like they did. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing Paul's response. So last week, Paul said, I need you to bear with me in a little foolishness, okay? He had just said to compare yourselves amongst yourselves is unwise but then Paul actually goes into a comparison. Um, he showed how different he was from the super apostles, who you could substitute as any cocky leader who has pride and fools themselves into thinking, I have it figured out, and if you just follow me, your life will go great. So he's actually confronting them. And what we've been learning from Paul so far is that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And just as the serpent deceived Eve with his cunning, he still does the same thing today with boastful leaders. And going beyond just the fact that they were cocky, this is where it gets really bad. Their theology had a massive hole in it. They had no place for humility. They had no place for weakness. And they had no place for the suffering of the Christian life. So why is that, you may ask? Why is your theology have a hole in it if you don't have those things in place? It's because this is who Jesus is. Jesus came into this sin-cursed world and suffered and died for the penalty of our sin. He, Jesus suffered in this world for you and I. You and I. And to pretend that the successful Christian life is devoid of pain and suffering, that's not the true story of Jesus. That is a different gospel. Pain and suffering are a part of this life, and Paul is teaching them not to confuse success with what the world labels as success. Jesus suffered, so we will suffer. It's very easy to to just get Focused solely on what Jesus did on the cross and everything that happened around the cross. And that's obviously very, very important because that's the way we find salvation. That is God's plan for salvation. But genuine Christian faith goes beyond the intellectual consent and it actually bears fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. You make evident the fruit of who God is, the character of God with your life. So it's not just facts about Jesus. It's what was Jesus's life. Because if you leave out the why and the how, and you leave out how Jesus showed us the character of God, what you end up with is just a fair-weather fan who is actually for Jesus when the circumstances of life are going great, but you don't have a diehard follower of Jesus who's with him because that's his savior through the thick and the thin. The life of Jesus was hard and rocky and gritty. There were nights where he had nowhere to lay his head. He was born in a manger. He used his hands in carpentry to make a living. He was under immense pressure. And after 33 years, he was lied about and he was thrown into the hands of the Romans. Jesus suffered for us. Suffering is a part of this life. So so if you make the Christian life about being content and joyous and having no problems, you have a different gospel because that's not what Jesus' life was about, and it's not what our life will be about. This is Paul's point so far. These guys are boasting about the wrong stuff. They are preaching a different gospel. And if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in Jesus Christ. So that's where we left off. Now let's pick it up in verse 16 of chapter 11 and watch him expound upon this. I just laid a lot of context out for you, but I want you to look for the balance here that I'm talking about of the the balanced mindset of life that Paul is going to highlight here In verses 16 down to the end of the chapter, verse 33. And let me turn over. I was in in 1 Corinthians 11 still. I was like, that doesn't look right. Let me get there myself. 2 Corinthians 11. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little, what I am saying with this boastful confidence I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it, you bear it if someone makes you slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are the Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys and in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant, indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Ar- Aretas, Was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I'm gonna pause right here and just remind you of the context that I just shared with you, right? Paul is still in the middle of actually going head to head with these Corinthian leaders. He's giving an example now of his life and he's sharing some painful stories, right? You see that? He's laying it out there, and he's saying, look, I'm not just some awesome person. I'm I'm still comparing my life with yours, but my life isn't just this life that's messed up and I'm hopeless. This isn't the uh, anti-boasting either. He's saying, I boast in Christ. There's something else going on here. There's a completely different tone other than the two extremes that we see out there in the world. There's confidence in weakness. There's strength here, even in the midst of being persecuted and beat up and facing pressure and danger constantly. So let's keep looking for this. Let's continue reading because Paul's still not done with this comparison. Chapter 12, verse one. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ talking about himself, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. If you think of the first heaven as, uh, as this world, you know the air that, we're, that we currently see, the second heaven is like space. The third heaven is just a reference to the place where God is. Okay, Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man cannot utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But I own, on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think me more more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So that's what we're going to stop today. And again, I told you, there's a lot of context here. There's a lot of moving pieces, right? I hope you can begin to see, Do you, are you starting to see why Paul is speaking sarcastically the way he is speaking to these people? The Corinthian leaders were preaching a different Jesus. They had prosperity theology, and they were destructively teaching that the Christian life is the good life. If you come to Jesus, all your problems will go away. And then they at the same time are like, look at me, I don't have problems. See, I have it figured out. And that is actually the same message that a lot of churches today have drifted into. There's nothing new. Churches still teach the same thing that was going on in Corinth. But what Paul is teaching here is Christianity is not the easy life. It wasn't for Jesus. It wasn't for Paul. And it shouldn't be for you either. Let's just adjust our expectations. If your Christian life is a complete cakewalk, I hate to break it to you, but you're not living the way Jesus Christ lived. You're just not. You may know about Jesus. You like the positives that Jesus represents and the hypothetical idea of what Jesus delivers. But if your life is comfortable and it's just a cakewalk, then you're missing it. And don't let any spiritual leader tell you that coming to Jesus and getting saved is the answer to all your problems. It's not the answer to your problems in this life. It is the answer to the problem, which is your sin that separates you from God. So Paul is proving this by pointing out, and I'm gonna back up a little bit back into chapter 11 here, but the deceivers and the fakes among you, remember, he's comparing himself. You know, he, he, he made the joke. He made the sarcastic joke about this comparison. But they preached for money in a fat paycheck. Remember that last week? Paul did it free of charge. They have a good appearance. They speak truth, though, mixed with error, just like our adversary, the devil. And Paul, he doesn't pretty up the message. Not at all. He tells the whole truth and nothing but the truth out of love. The Corinthian leaders did what they did for man's applause, and Paul pointed it back to Christ. He sacrificed because Jesus sacrificed for him and he loved people. So that's the recap of what Paul said there. I hope you can see that. This intensely sarcastic passage, hopefully it's starting to make sense for you. Now let's dive deeper into what Paul is saying. How do you find God's strength in the midst of your weakness? How do you couple the healthy belief that God created you and gifted you and has a plan for you with the realistic view that I am weak and life is hard and this is not going well most of the time? Most of the time it's not going the way I want it to go. How do we have strength in weakness? How do we actually have that anyway? Because we can't swing from one pendulum to the other Because if you have one without the other, it's going to be harmful and destructive. So let's take a closer look at what Paul says in this passage. And there's two takeaways here for us that have been ringing true throughout these last two chapters, and if you've been paying really close attention, you probably know what the two points are. Um, But before we get to the two points, really, the two applicational points that are in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 12... I want to back up, and I want to point out one more example from Paul's argument. Okay, so you may be thinking, where where is the structure of this sermon, David? I, I, are we still in the introduction? Well, we're just now getting out of the introduction, and believe me, this isn't like another twenty-minute sermon. Don't worry. Like, there's so much context here that we just read that sets up the understanding of verses nine and ten. And what I want to to highlight here in verses 6 through 8 is actually not point 1. It's kind of like an addendum to the introduction, okay? But it'll it'll function like the first point, and then we'll actually get into the two main applicational points. But before we park there, look again at verses 6 through 8 with me, because there's something very interesting about this. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it. So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Did you catch what he said there? So no one would think more highly of me than they ought to think. Does anyone in this room actually talk that way and think that way? Do we go around wondering, oh man, I don't want them to think more highly of me than I really am, so I gotta show the truth here. I I almost feel like Half of the US economy would just like vanish overnight. People would be without jobs if we didn't care what other people thought of us, right? Just think about all that goes into like putting on the pretty face, getting your image correct, and and making people think more highly of you than you really are, right? That's the world's mindset. Paul's mindset is completely different. He's like, hey, I don't want you to think more highly of you than anything. I truly am, or actually what I say. And part of that desire was God in his divine sovereignty orchestrating something that we are going to have a really hard time wrapping our mind around, okay? We're going to have a really hard time with this. Um, To keep him from becoming conceited, this is what the passage says, he was given a thorn in the flesh. You know, Paul, Paul's wearing his emotions on his sleeves right now, right? He's sharing an emotional story. Um, and he says he has a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. I'm actually really glad we don't know exactly what that was because if we did, everybody would just think of that one thing as the thorn in the flesh. And, and, and the Bible is, I think, on purpose, the Holy Spirit is being vague about this because it allows us to put whatever our trial and struggle is, and we can realize that this is my thorn in the flesh in this season of my life. But He was given this, and there's three things about it. Number one, it was physical; it was a physical ailment, something that the doctor could see. There's a problem here, but also, number two. It had a satanic origin. Like it it was there was a demonic cause here. It was sent by a messenger of Satan to torment him. Okay, so you have the physical being influenced by the spiritual, which we cannot see. And then also, thirdly, there's a divine cause behind it all. God is using it to humble Paul. Do you see that in the text? So I know there's a lot going on there, and if anyone has problems with divine sovereignty of God and human freedom, here's another text for you just to try to wrap your head around, which you're not going to really be able to completely wrap your head around. We, we cannot, in our human finite wisdom, like completely grasp all these things working together at the same time, right? It's like trying to hold three watermelons. You can hold two watermelons, get, get them in, there, in those armpits, right? But you get a third watermelon in there, and it's like, ooh, I'm gonna probably drop one. It's really hard to carry all three of these watermelons safely. That's the way a lot of truths are in Scripture, and this is another one of those things. You have a physical problem, there's a spiritual satanic attack being involved with it, and just like Job in the Old Testament, God is using Satan as a pawn, and he's overcoming all of that, and God is using that In a good way in Paul's life. Do you see that with me here? So God overcomes it, He works through it, He overrules Satan just like He always does. And he says, the answer here is to Paul's prayer is my power is made perfect in weakness. I know we're all all of us in some way, shape, or form are are in a weak place. We're feeling it, we're feeling the pressure. Something's not going the way we dreamed it up, dreamed it of it going. And I think as Paul prays here, this this is another thing. You cannot miss this, right? Paul does not get the answer that he's looking for in that prayer. We don't always get the answer that we're looking for. But the truth is, we are still getting an answer. And a lot of times, it's an answer. That we don't even understand. We don't even understand it. Uh, yesterday we had so many things going on in our home. Uh, we had well, we had men's breakfast, which was incredible. Then we rushed off to that to some soccer games and a lot of lessons to be learned in soccer because one soccer game went great, the other soccer game went horrible. Um, the emotional kid who's super competitive had the horrible game. He wanted to just like to quit and, and get angry and upset, and we're teaching him, hey dealing with adversity is a part of life. This is something that you can learn through sports. And then we go off and, and we got a, an amazing gift. I have a friend who gave my boys this like this set of soccer cards and there was like a couple cards short. and one boy wanted just to split up the set. And I said, no, that's not a good idea. Um, as your dad, I'm like, listen to me here, I, I don't think that's a good idea. I think you're going to want to keep this as a complete set instead of breaking it up and damaging all the individual cards and all that. And he just couldn't understand that. But as I told him, as your father, trust me here. Like, I've been here before. Like, you don't want to do this. He was not getting the answer he wanted to hear, but he didn't understand that his father knew more about it, right? That's the way we are so often. We can pray for something, and half the time we're praying for the wrong thing. We just have limited knowledge, right? It's also like when you're in argument with someone... And, and you're having a discussion, you don't agree, and the person you're talking with is just saying, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. This is what I'm saying. And you wanted to step back and say, hey, I am listening to you. I just don't agree with what you're saying. This is why I'm saying this. Many times, answered prayer is like just like that. We're expecting them to listen to us and to agree, come on, God, this has got to be right. I know best. This is going to work. This is what I need, God. That's the prayer. But God says, no, I'm listening to you, but I know some some more information that you don't know. He sees it all. And he says, here's the answer that I'm giving. So God answered his prayer, just wasn't the answer he was looking for, and God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So before we get to how you find strength in weakness, you have to use this as a blueprint, right? This is why I said this was like basically your first point, but it's, it's not connected. It, in, in one way, it's connected, but it's not the same as the real first two points, you can also just think of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane here before we get to point one. We're almost there. But the night Jesus was taken by Rome to the cross, Jesus knew where he, was, where he was going, and he was pleading with God, I do not want to take this cup and drink of this cup. He knew that cup was the wrath of God. He was going to be separated from God because he was going to take on our sin, and, and this is, again, another one of those mind-blowing things that we can't really wrap our mind around. But the Son of God, who is equal with God, who had always, before the creation of this world, had been in perfect harmony and unison with God, three in one. He'd always had that fellowship with his Father, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, before he even created this world. He, that was going to be broken, that fellowship, because he was going to take on sin and God was going to have to forsake his son because Jesus paid our penalty. Jesus pleaded with God. Is there another way? He's he's sweating drops of blood in such a pressure situation here, and the answer was, this is our rescue mission. This is our plan. Follow through with it. And Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. So let me ask you a question. We're going to pause right here before we get to point one and personalize this. How is your joy distinct from your comfort? How are those two things separate? And again, um, life isn't going to always go our way, right? I don't care how good your health insurance is, you will die at some point in time. So think about, how is your joy distinct from your comfort? Your joy should be in Christ. It can't be dependent on your comfort at all. God is going to use uncomfortable things in your life, which come with the territory of living in this sin-cursed world, and life will be hard. But that cannot determine your joy. Discomfort comes with the territory. The goal can't be comfort. The goal is to glorify God. That's the goal. And that's also where you find joy despite all the things that are going haywire around you. You know, comfort is for vacation or your hobby that you use to recharge yourself for the glory of God. The rest of life is not the pursuit of comfort comfort distracts you and shows you and it can slow you down for the mission that you've been given. Jesus laid aside every hint of comfort for the cross of sin and death. And he did that for you and for me. So now we have finally arrived to the two ways that you find God's strength in the midst of your weakness and these are going to be quick. But we aren't talking about comfort here. We aren't talking about having your dreams come true. We are talking about finding the correct, balanced mindset, right? So here's what you do. Two things. You boast in your weakness and enjoy God's grace. You be content in your weakness and you glorify God. This is what the text says. Look again at verses 9 and 10. I just love that you literally have both extremes mixed in together to be balanced. Do you see that? You have the boasting in the strength of Christ, and you also have the admitting your own weakness, peace. But you you don't have one without the other. If you take one, no matter which side you lean on, if you take one and you don't mix it with the other, it's going to be harmful. It's, it's going to be a problem. So the successful man who is, you know, half jock, half J. Crew model, who boasts in his own press clippings and isn't content in weakness, he has a problem, just like the underconfident, you know, overlooked adolescent who is fine with just being weak and, and who is completely missing confidence. They're both missing an important piece. So as we take one more closer look at these two ways you find strength in weakness, number one, boast in your weakness and enjoy God's grace. Boast in your weakness. Why? What is the result you were going for and the tone and the attitude that you need to have as you boast in weakness? What does this text say? Verse 9, look at it again with me. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There's your attitude. There's your tone. When you realize your own weaknesses, that's when you're able to open yourself up and seek God and watch Him use you. Jesus taught that for a seed to grow, it must die. John 12, 24 through 25. Here it is on the screen. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Paul understood this, and he's explained to the Corinthians and to us, it's okay to acknowledge that you're weak. You have to do that if you're going to be opened up to the strength of Christ. You have to. So... God, I need help with my temper. God, I need help controlling my lustful thoughts. God, I crave and desire these expensive things that I can't afford, and it's hindering me from from being who I need to be. I need help, God. God, I need more discipline to buckle down and remove the distractions so I can do what I need to do to provide and to lead other people. You're not going to be able to do those things effectively through the power of Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit, unless you admit your own weakness, that you can't do it in your own strength. You have to start there. The first step to getting victory is to acknowledge you need help. Get on your knees and talk to God about it. And then, when someone says, wow, way to go, then you can actually thank them for that. And you can point them to Christ and boast in Christ. I think it's always a little awkward when somebody, you know, gives you a compliment like, hey, I love, you know, thanks for singing that song or, or whatever it is. Like, that was so good. Thank you. And you're just awkwardly like, don't say thank you. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, uh, praise God. I don't know. You, you, you make them feel bad for like giving you a compliment, right? That's not what we're talking about here. You could say, hey, thanks, I appreciate that. That's encouraging to hear. And I'm just thankful that I get to do it for God, for the glory of our Savior, right? There's a way that you can acknowledge that and take that encouragement and also still boast in Jesus and point back to Jesus Christ. It's so refreshing to see when that happens. During the Olympics this summer, there was a great example of that. And uh, some of you, I'm sure, were following this. Sidney McLaughlin. She was an American runner who broke the world's record for the 400-meter hurdles. And I was talking with Tanika a lot about this because Tanika like, follows her on Instagram and everything. She, she filled me in on all this. But like I heard her interviews. And Sydney McLaughlin, when, when the reporter was just glowing over her, and she was happy that she won the race, she was very pleasant about that. It was, it was all smooth. And then she just naturally transitioned to say, and I'm doing this for my God, my Savior Jesus Christ. I give the glory to him. So the next day, she made a post on her Instagram to like all of her followers. This is exactly what we're talking about in this text. And this is what she said uh, on Instagram. Let me start off by saying what an honor it is to be able to represent not only my country, but also the kingdom of God. What I have in Christ is far greater than what I have or don't have in my life. And I pray my journey may be a clear depiction of submission and obedience to God. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't seem possible, he will make a way out of no way. Not for my own gratification, but for his glory. I have never seen God fail in my life, in anyone's life for that matter. Just because I, am, I may not win every race or receive every one of my heart's desires does not mean God had failed. His will is perfect And he has prepared me for a moment such as this, that I may use the gifts he has given me to point all the attention back to him. Thank you, God. She said that the day after she won the gold medal, when everybody was fawning over her, she pointed it right back to God. That's a a woman who knows Jesus as her savior and is in love with Jesus and graciously boasts in Christ. Christ. Rather than themselves. Is is Sidney McLaughlin weak? Of course not, right? She's an incredibly fast, talented, strong woman. She's successful, but she also knows where she's weak. And she didn't boast in herself, she boasted in Christ. So think about this in your own life. Do you boast in Christ? How do you know? How do you know if you boast in yourself or if you boast in your Savior? Just think through this last week. What were all the great things you said about God? And what were all the great things that you thought about God? And what were all the great things you said about yourself? (laughs) Or thought about yourself, maybe, more accurate, right? Where, where Where does that measure up? Is it more about I'm talking about how great God is, or is it, I'm not just saying I'm awesome, but like I'm talking about all the amazing things that I'm doing with my life right now. If we stop and catch ourselves, a lot of times our conversations revolve around our little world, what I'm good at, what I enjoy, what I'm doing. And that's, if that's the extent of the conversation, it never goes back to, this is who my savior is. This is what he's done for me. I don't think you could say you're boasting in Christ then, right? Do you see that? The second half of this, which again is so important to include in the mix, if you want to grow through the hardship and you want his power to be made perfect in your weakness, you also have to, flip side, be content with your weaknesses and glorify God. Now this one is radical, I know unless you're, you're unless you're just following the world's path and idolizing that weakness, to actually be content, to truly be content. Because even the people who pretend like that's their identity, like they're not really content in that. How do you actually be content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, like verse 10 just is talking about? Verse 10 actually gives us the answer, though, if you look closely at verse 10. For the cause of Christ. That has to come before all the calamities. Like You're never going to be content in any of that if you don't realize and, and truly believe this is for the cause of Christ. This is happening to me as an opportunity to shine the light of Jesus. This is for the cause of Christ. And once you accept the truth that God made you in his image, to be a living, breathing statue of his character in this world, to radiate his love, his joy, his patience. Those attributes of God are the glory of God, right? So to glorify God means you're showing his glory. You're showing his his righteousness. You're showing his honesty. You're showing all those things in your daily life. Again, you start living like Christ, not just with the Christian title and learning facts about God, but you grow into modeling the life of Jesus rather than just the the true history of the historical Jesus, then you will know that your life is for the cause of Christ. And your life right here, right now, is to shine the light of Jesus. That's what it's for. Then, and only then, will you be fine with your own weaknesses. Right? Right? Because I'm not living to magnify my name and to have my 15 minutes of fame. That's not what I'm here for. I'm playing this eternal game, and I'm fine with not having all the answers. I'm fine with not being able to solve everybody's problems. I'm fine with not always having my way and not making every perfect decision. If I make the wrong decision, I will learn from it. And I won't stress out about making the perfect decision 100% of the time because I've already blown that anyway. And I won't do that in the future. That's not realistic. Right? We're living for the cause of Christ. And if that's happening, we're content with our own weaknesses because you know your God is greater and your God is stronger than any other. David Livingston is another amazing example of this. He gave his life to serve Christ in the exploration of Africa. And if you listen to him and and read what he wrote about that, it was specifically so that he could open up Africa to gain access to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of that was going into, we need to send missionaries over here. So he was the first European to cross the width of Africa, the first to set his eyes on Victoria Falls, which he named after his queen. Uh, He also witnessed the horrors of the East African slave trade, and he devoted himself as a passionate abolitionist. But similar to Paul, who had people go after him and attack him, David Livingston had a lot of people that doubted his sincerity as as a missionary. They wanted to say, hey, you're just an adventurist. You just like getting out there and, and discovering new, new unseen parts of the globe. And he, he, had to, he had to respond to a lot of that. His own perspective was clear. As for me, I am determined to open up Africa or perish. The end of the exploration is the beginning of the enterprise. His goal was to give the gospel to these people. And uh, later on in his life, In 1857, so this would be a few years before he died, he addressed the students at Cambridge University, and the title of this lecture was, Leaving Behind the Benefits of England. And there's a quote from this address that speaks directly into what we're covering here. I know you can't see that. It's probably shouldn't have even put it up there. Um, You can't read that probably, but I'm going to quote it for you. For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of sacrifice. I have made the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope and a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say, rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with the foregoing of common conveniences and the charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink, but let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice." What a way to think about his life right there. I never made a sacrifice. He was so consumed with the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for him that he didn't even view the hardships he went through as a sacrifice. This is just part of life. This is part of living in this sin-cursed world. I I have to do some things that are unpleasant, that are not convenient. I'm in some very uncomfortable places, but it comes with the territory because I'm living for the cause of Christ. That's what it's about. So being content in your weakness does not mean you elevate averageness. It does not mean you attack people who are trying to push you to greatness, like you, you see and feel out there. Being content in weakness does not look like the world's victimhood, a selfish version of contentment. Christ-like contentment with weakness simply means you accept that this life is a battle, you accept that there will be failures and calamities, and your focus isn't on the temporary highs and lows. Your focus is on the name and the fame and the glory of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ alone. I do think most Christians approach hard times and suffering as something I'm just gonna get through. I'm gonna get through this, And then Jesus is going to make it better. Maybe I'll learn something from it, and then I'll move on to the happy times. Have you ever thought of it that way? It's like, oh, man, another rough season. Can't wait to get this one in the rearview mirror. When things are really difficult, we can turn to him and we can get comfort. That's 100% true. But I think what Paul is teaching here is what we need to actually adjust into our own mindset is that it's not like I just get through this trial and now everything's gonna be sunshine again and, I, and I, I will pray that the gray doesn't happen for a long time. No, it's that there's always hardship going on. If it's not this, it's gonna be the next thing, right? There's always suffering. There's always calamities. People are always getting sick. There's always something going on. What we have here is our weakness and our brokenness isn't just something we pass through and get over. The only way we will ever be used by God is to embrace our own weakness and open ourselves up to the one who gives us strength. This is a theology for the good times and for the bad times. It's it's for all the times. It's not like Good things happening to bad, you know, are are, are bad things happening to good people and good things happening to bad people. No, scratch all of that. It's not, there's light at the end of the tunnel. No, it's not that either. This is teaching us that things are always going to go wrong. And that we are sinners who have an incredibly great thing that has already happened to us. So I don't care about the light at the end of the tunnel when there's light right here in my heart right now. Right? All around me is darkness anyway. And if you know Jesus, you have the light. There's a quote. I I, I made it simple for you here. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. There is darkness before the tunnel and after the tunnel. But if you know Jesus, the light is in you, it's in you. We are all weak during hardships, calamities, insults. We have to find strength in Christ. And that's why going back to what our scripture reading was this morning. And I know our scripture reading this morning wasn't wasn't the normal opening up the Bible and reading it. We actually saw a dramatic interpretation of Jesus Christ in Matthew 5 for our scripture reading. But let me just remind you of what Jesus Christ said there about his people, because this is us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you and others revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Romans 8, 31-32. Say it with me. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You love. loved.